Hello and welcome to another episode of the Plastics Podcast, a show where two, most times three American wankers discuss who wore it better, Allison's beard or Mbuemo's beard. You're joined in the studio by Maddie Nostradamus Gaylor. That is indeed me. I am Nostradamus. The nightman cometh Blair Lacrosse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, myself, not me, Jacob Burke. Uh, this week, Mother's Day, and a weekend full of parental affection, the Premier League suffered su- no such problem. Villa vindicated themselves against Tottenham, Brentford battered West Ham, and Brighton bring their best against Arsenal away. The title seems all but sealed. And finally, Curtis Jones jams two against Jamie and the Foxes. This, some artsy poems, and why Sunday League soccer can actually be the worst. So you might notice that I'm not Jacob Burke. I uh, was wondering. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't change that much, but J- Jacob did write the intro uh, and then realized he couldn't be here for the intro. So I filled in his large shoes and uh, became Jacob Burke for the day. Uh, he will be joining at the end for his half of the poems today. Mm. Speaking of poems. Yes. Blair, how was your weekend? Speaking of poems, <laughs> it was like a poem. It was too short. It was a haiku mm. when I wish it was an epic. Nice. Okay. I, I did it. You did I it. Know, I took a lit, lit in high school. So, yeah, it was fine. It was fun. Um, I think that I maxed out my body's capability to run uh, playing soccer. Two games in one day was simply too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially in the midsummer heat that we're experiencing here in may mid-may in new york city it was quite warm and a nice day to be outside for sure but boy i am uh, i'm in the august of my athletic days <laughs> if, if, if yeah so yeah maddie how was your weekend i have to say I think I took a lot of L's this weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah we both did together. We so. did. We really did. Uh, I subbed for Blair's soccer team mm-hmm. and ended up playing two and a half games. Yeah. And that was a mistake. I also am in pain. And as my mother said, your body was just not made for this. So uh, she was right. Cheers, Mom. Happy Mother's <laughs> Day. Happy Mother's Day. I made sure to call her before the games started so that I wasn't calling her after with, you know, From terrible news. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. Do we want to just sandwich this episode with some beautiful poetry? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You've got a relegation poem, if I'm... Yeah, that's correct. Um, correct. You sort of outdid yourself with the po- first poem. I feel like we should have had you go last because my mental capacities while writing this poem were low. But this one is for all the Saints fans out there. Our first relegation poem. Read by Blair Lacrosse. Written by Blair Lacrosse. <clears throat> we are the Saints. We couldn't get it done. 
We could barely take a point. Unless it was Arsenal at number one. We'll surely lose many players, including many starters. But we wouldn't be the Saints without a few martyrs. Rest in peace. That was that was very that was good. That was good. I uh, I really liked the you know own dig at yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. Well, they did. You know, they did manage to take two of their twenty four points off of Arsenal's this year. So um, I'm not bitter. <sighs> you are. Southampton officially confirmed relegated. This is our first team of the year. Interesting relegation race outside of the uh, very bottom ta- team of the table, which I think that was basically a perfunctory relegation if there ever was such one so yeah they never really seem to have too much hope of climbing out of this hole and lo and behold they didn't any thoughts on southampton being relegated maddie it's just one more team that isn't lester so (laughs) that's the only thought i have currently after a very very disappointing game played today so i am in my feels maddie right now when it comes to all the other relegation zone teams is that meme of the guy who like showed up to my enemy's funeral to make sure that he was dead (laughs) (laughs) that's you right now (laughs) just hoping and praying that it's anybody but you watching southampton cry (laughs) (laughs) it's not me yet (laughs) (laughs) all right so this episode is going to be a little bit different we're still going to talk about the games we watched and the tactics employed but i thought it would be kind of fun to compare the three or four games however many we get to to the opposite game that happened all actually within three days of each other no what do you mean by that like the reverse fixtures all happen within three days of each other Uh uh-huh okay so the reverse fixture of aston villa tottenham was january 1st Brentford West Ham was December 30th. Arsenal Brighton December 31st. And Leicester Liverpool December 30th. Mm. Did they do that on purpose? I think so. I think they just like print the schedule and then they just sort of flip flip it. it. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I think that might be how they they do it actually. All right. So we're going to get into Aston Villa 2, Tottenham 1. The reverse of this fixture was played on January 1st. Tottenham 0, Aston Villa 2. And this was in the midst of the Conte trying to not get himself fired quite yet. He was still talking positively about the team. Found some comments about the game. Uh, They have talent to finish in the top four, as they proved last season. But right now, this is only heading one way. Tottenham out of the top four and without Conte as their boss. And they nailed that. You know what? That was very prescient because both of those things came true. Yes. Yeah. They uh, apparently looked disinterested from the very start. Uh, even though we're used to starting games sluggishly and then roaring back in the second half, they were even worse in the second half this time. Uh, yes, second half team Tottenham discourse. Remember that? Ugh. And around this time for Aston Villa, Danny Ings was leaving Aston Villa for West Ham, mm, which yes. left Ollie Watkins to open up and score, I think, eight goals in nine games. Yeah, he had that great scoring run, and West Ham did the uh, break glass in case of emergency with Danny Ings, um, which we'll get to next. Know. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah, what were your uh, what were your thoughts about Aston Villa two Tottenham one? I this match, I think it's it sort of came down to one team having a fairly functional midfield 
and another team not having one, I guess. Of course, Aston Villa being the one team that did. Makes sense. I think they were able to sort of pass their way around and through Tottenham's midfield rather easily. They they played a very, I don't know, I don't know if I call it risky, but a very interesting structure. They played a pretty high line. They caught Tottenham offsides so many times. So many times. There were so many moments where, like, Youngman's son, it was typically son, was just passed into acres and acres of space. And you're like, surely there's no way he was on sides for this. Nine times. Yeah. And it felt like nine times. It felt, it felt like more than nine times. But, it did. And son would have a one-on-one chance, and he wouldn't score it. Uh, he did one time, I guess, but he was offside. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, the the offsides trap was working quite well for them. Tottenham just really uh, couldn't get anything going. But I think that's down to this sort of box that Villa employed in the midfield with McGinn and Louise and Buendia and Ramsey. Um, those guys uh, were, I think, just really on top of it. They sort of had Hoiberg and Skip sort of surrounded um, and outnumbered in the midfield. And what they were doing is they were working the ball in the wide areas, especially to Leon Bailey, um, who was running into space. And typically in, I would say, rather advantageous situations because he was either in space or he was only marked by one player. They, I think, moved the ball forward rather effectively in this manner. I think Tottenham's shortcoming at the moment is just that they have no really healthy functional <laughs> midfielders. We did get to see a bit of Basuma come in on the 61st minute, coming back from injury. Yeah, he hasn't really featured for them very much. And on top of that, they're just like so discombobulated elsewhere in the club. Like it just sort of feels like it's a bit of a mess. But And Kulishevsky came in in the 62nd minute. And in the flip match, they were missing all three still. They had Bentenker still out, yeah. uh, Basuma and Kulishevsky all still out. And it kind of feels like that's just been their season. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's definitely been... For Tottenham, I mean, it was a big summer for them, right? I mean, they brought in uh, a host of players who haven't really slotted in super effectively. I mean, in this match, we saw Ivan Perisic on the bench, uh, only brought on in the 90th minute, and that was for Ben Davies, who was playing left wing back, which is like, <laughs> what? <laughs> that was weird. That was really weird. Emerson Royale was, I guess, the right center back. Eric Deer has been... Uh, relegated to the injury. I don't know. Was Eric Deer even injured? I don't know. It's a very strange situation happening here with Emerson Royal in the back three. But yeah, just suffice it to say that Tottenham just don't really seem to have their preferred squad healthy at the moment. And I think that's just kind of marked their whole season. And Richarlison really hasn't filed into the team as well as they wanted because this front three was a front three that we were scared of. I think everyone was pretty excited about this, right? I mean... It seemed like Kane and Son were, were, I mean, begging goals last year. Um, and whether it was going to be Kulisevsky or, or Richarlison, I think a lot of, I don't know, I think I personally I was feeling that Richarlison would just be a nice rotation option for Kane, especially with all the minutes that they'd be putting into Kane in mm-hmm. the Champions League. It just sort of seemed to make sense. Um, they're not the same profile player, but it's not like, it, I think what you would be theoretically getting out of him is just not a significant drop-off in talent at that position, but... Richarlison has obviously had his goal-scoring woes this year. Uh, there's a great video on uh, circulating on the internet of uh, Mikhail Antonio and Callum Wilson kind of roasting Richarlison for all of his yellow cards he's received for goals that have been later called off sides. <laughs> um, 
of course, because he takes his shirt sure. off every time he scores. So, yeah, yeah, definitely find that if you haven't. But I just think it was, this season's just been, I don't know, is this a missed opportunity for Tottenham? What would you even call this? This is just, it's just a collapse? I, I have no idea. I mean, they were in the top yes. four. Yeah. They started off really strong. Yeah, they had their best ever start to a season this year. That's never a good sign. Well, I mean, I think it's a good sign to start the season strong, right? But, like, it's not a good sign when you have that and then also finish they're now guaranteed not to finish in the champions league spots um after doing so last year um so definitely a step back i mean conte leaving everybody knows about that it's just been a really odd season for them yeah it feels like they never hit their stride at any point and i think it kind of falls down to sun scoring drought like he was there he was their golden child last year and he the golden goose everybody was excited to see how he was going to do in the world cup how he was going to progress with harry kane and richarlison and he hasn't hit the broadside of a barn he had three breakaways albeit some of them were offsides but he was still trying and he still missed like two out of the three I don't know. I don't know if you should read into that too much or not. Like I, I was personally like going back and forth in my head about that, but like, I feel like he kind of can, right? Cause like maybe in his mind, he knows he's offside. So he's like not putting in maximal effort, but like also he did, he didn't just give up on the play. Right. No. So like, and who knows? I mean, you don't know for sure if you're offside. So like, you've got to play it out and then let VAR decide later on. You know, he had just some golden opportunities to score goals one in one-on-one one. situations. Yeah. And he was hitting the woodwork or whatever. It was, yeah, really weird. And I was thinking about Arsenal today and... Uh, As I do every day. Yeah. Unfortunately, really lately. But um, I was thinking about how the whole like discourse around like bottling it and... I was thinking about the sort of preseason expectations for so many of these teams. And Tottenham's conversation was a dark horse title contender, a dark horse contender for the Champions League. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say, I I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think all three of us thought that that was a pretty reasonable expectation for them, given how they finished last season, how they spent in in the summer window. Yeah, I mean, obviously injuries have, have really hampered them, but... To have this big of a drop-off, it just seems like it was far beyond even the lowest boundary of our expectations um, for them. Could it also have a little bit to do with the fact that Conte basically said that this team will never win anything and then left in a dramatic fashion after saying this, not being fired for three days and just like letting it sit there? That has to be like a huge mental blow to these... like. Yeah. They're they're people too. To say that they're never going to win anything as a manager, it might have been to like spur them into action. But damn, that <laughs> has to hurt. Yeah, the old tough love approach. Yeah, it, it might work in Syria, but not to our sensitive boys in the Premier League. <laughs> it's quite the challenge. I, I think really though, I feel like my working thesis with teams that employ a back five is like you're only as good as your wing backs, and. At the end of the day, like Tottenham's wingbacks just weren't good enough this year. I don't think Parisish quite worked out as well as everybody said. I remember having so many conversations with, about Ivan Parisich and going like, okay, it's so like, why is he good? Because I, I didn't know anything about him, to be honest with you. And mm-hmm. I was like, why is he good? And it's like, it's just like people just go, it's Ivan Parisich. And I'd be like, okay, but like he's a 34-year-old wingback. So like, what, what makes him special? And it's like... It's Ivan, it's Ivan Perisic. You're like, okay, I guess I'll take your word for it. And yeah, it just hasn't quite worked out. Emerson Royale, I don't think really worked out either. So 
yeah, I just I think that there's maybe some still some squad building to do there, but I I'll, I will say Pedro Porro. Mm-hmm. I I feel like he will work out. Mm-hmm. He's pretty young, and I do yep. see him. I I see the value of him, and I see him putting an effort. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he seemed like he could be all right. I think that was a good gift for them. Tottenham, very interesting situation going on right now because they have this sort of old vanguard with with Son and Kane both entering, I would say, the end of their primes, um, being in their late 20s or early 30s. Um, But they also are sort of trying to undergird that with young talents. Uh, Romero's only 25, you know, Poro's 23, Richarlison's 26. So it's like they're sort of trying to like shed this old skin yeah, (laughs) and then like be able to come out of it still young, talented and competing. But I feel like there's these clashing uh, dynamics at play here and it it just really didn't work out for them. Maybe we should talk about how things are working for Aston Villa. And things are working. I mean, they looked like a top six team. Yeah. And have for the past 10 games. Let's look at that. Their uh, run of form over their last 10 games includes a couple of losses to Manchester United and Wolves in successive weeks, but wins against Tottenham, Newcastle, a 3-0 win. It's Newcastle, albeit at home. They did beat Chelsea at um, at Chelsea um, at Stanford Bridge. That's the word. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they just have a whole host of points that have been racking up. They've been on a, a really terrific run of form and this feels very Unai Emery. The, you can see his hands all over this. Uh, this is just exactly what he does. And I feel like this is a great appointment that Aston Villa made. Maybe, maybe the best managerial appointment made this year. Uh, don't, don't talk shit about Dean Smith. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know how much I love Sean Dyche. Oh, oh, I know how much you love Sean Dyche. I feel like Sean Dyche appointment was the turning point for Arsenal this season. <laughs> uh, yesterday may have been Mother's Day, but with Unai Emery at the helm, every weekend is Father's Day <laughs> for Aston Villa. No, I mean, I think that he's getting a tune out of Ollie Watkins. Mm-hmm. I think that their structure, if you look at just their... It's very rudimentary, but if you look at just their average player position, you can see exactly what they're trying to do. Compare it to Tottenham's, which looks like a bird's claw. There's like three prongs, one on the left wing, one on the right wing, and one down the middle, and the players are all sort of bunched up. It does not look coherent. It looks like an arrow that a child has drawn. Yeah. It's just like a little bit fat on the sides. Exactly. If you look at their passing networks, it was all a U-shape with very little to the forwards. Uh, There was basically no service to the forwards. Do you want to know something funny that I realized? Uh, Ivan Perisic came in and played exactly one minute, and he had seven touches. Richarlison started the game, played 62 minutes. Guess how many touches he had? Oh, boy. Uh, 11. Nine. He's putting up Obamiang numbers. <laughs> oh my God. And he didn't even get the kickoffs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. um, there's this, uh, there's this thing um, in, in the NBA or in college basketball called the trillionaires club. Um, and there's this legendary game put up by this guy named Tony Snell. He played 28 minutes and didn't record a single statistic. He scored no points, no rebounds, no turnovers, no assists, no fouls. He was just there. He was just getting cardio in. That was it. (laughs) 
It's Got like, a good workout in, babe. I feel. I want to know because I feel like that's like statistically improbable, right? Yeah, nine touches in sixty-two minutes or whatever. That's that's oh, that's that's rough. I didn't even know he started. Like when we were watching the game, I could not have told you that Richarlison was on the field. Yeah, I could have said, yeah, Son was there because he was off fifteen times, yeah. but he didn't even make a difference to this game. Yeah, his body on the field was not even. Let's see how many uh, Dejan Kulishevsky came in for him, and he had two shots, one on net, and um, twenty four touches. Twenty four touches. He he did look instantly much better than than Richarlison for sure. Like I, I think Kulishevsky is a good player. I think he's been uh, sort of up and down. I don't know. I think he's he looks he looks I don't know tired or maybe like he's carrying an injury or something. But um, definitely better than Richarlison at that role. And, and here we are. Showed it. Still talking about Tottenham. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess there's not that much more to say about the, about this match other than uh, Villa did give up a rather stupid uh, foul in the box, courtesy of one Emmy Buendia. I'm sorry, uh, Emmy Martinez. My mistake. Um, I question that. Yeah. He got the ball. Like, or no, he he was going for the ball. Mm-hmm. It went under him. So it's not like he like completely missed the entirety of like the area of the ball and just went for the player. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this one is maybe not a clear cut call, but I think I err on the side of it being a penalty personally. Um, I remember seeing, um, Jose saw like rock a guy in the face one time in the box and it just didn't get called. And I think that there is, a weird criteria for keepers where they're sort of allowed to do things that seem excessive at times. And this one was probably a foul and it, it ended up giving Tottenham some life in the 90th minute. Uh, Harry Kane converted from the spot. And then I was like, Oh yes, that's right. This is also the, uh, this is, this is also the um, Unai Emery experience because it sets up a perfect nervy finish in stoppage time for Aston Villa, who were cruising at that point. Had some, I guess, shaky moments, but like for the most part, we're we're pretty much in control. And it's like, <laughs> um, I just, I just do still worry that some of those old, I guess, uh, scars, those bruises from the Unai Emery era Arsenal, they just they they bring me back, uh, and I feel like. Aston Villa, while they are on a great form, run of form, I do wonder uh, if he's kind of BSing his way through it a bit, like he tends to do uh, in certain occasions. So that remains to be seen over a longer time period. They're certainly rocketing their way up the table. Uh, Maddie, let's finish this conversation. Do you think they finish in one of the European spots? They are right now eighth place, tied with Tottenham on uh, points, but down on goal difference by two goals. Mm. How about this? I'll give you their remaining matches because they both have two. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Hit me. Aston Villa play at uh, Anfield against Liverpool on oh. Saturday. And then they uh, close out the season at home to Brighton. Oh, boy. Tottenham. Oh, boy. Tottenham have Brentford at home coming up on Saturday and away to Leeds to close out the season May 28th. I believe Aston Villa will I can't I can't make it all work. I can't make Brentford finish an eighth. 
Because <laughs> it's just not going to work. Um, I think Astonville will finish in seventh. And I think they'll flip-flop. Because I don't think Aston Villa will beat both Liverpool and Brighton. Uh-huh. And they would have to do that in order to beat Brighton. Like in, in so, table position. Yeah. And I don't think Tottenham... I think they'll beat Leeds. But I don't think they'll beat Brentford. Because Brentford feel good right now. They feel solid. And I think they want to prove me right. <laughs> and so they're going to fight for those last two games. Okay. So I yeah. think they flip-flop positions. Ugh, and unfortunately, I think they end in eighth, which is supposed to be Brighton's. But maybe maybe they surprise me, at, or Brighton's, Brentford's. And maybe they lose both, and Brentford ends up in eighth. And then I will be proven right, and <laughs> I can uh, put this on my trophy for the season because that's the only thing I will be winning. <laughs> um, Brighton... Uh, by the way, are currently sit sixth place. They are on 34 matches played, so they have two to, to uh, pick up before they're actually at pace with the rest of the league. Oh, Jesus. Um, they're on 58 points, which puts them seven back of Liverpool, who are in fifth. Um, yeah, I think now, they're fine. Brighton have Newcastle on the road uh, going up to Tyneside. Um, then they have Southampton at home. Uh, as we know, relegated probably won't be trying all that hard. But I think they'll still lose Brighton. because that's been that's been their <laughs> mo is going to these relegation fighting teams, losing by five, and then <laughs> yeah. beating Arsenal. It makes zero sense. Uh, God, they look so good against Arsenal. Um, and yeah, then they have Man City at home, which was one of those games where I was like, hmm, maybe they could do something for us. But uh, they already did something for us, and that was crush <laughs> our hopes and dreams. And then to finish the season, they go away to Aston Villa. So. Um, I feel like if I were to forecast a table position, I think Brighton are solid in their sixth place finish. I do too. Okay. Yeah. I mean, with those two extra games, yeah, they've, and, and I don't think they're going to catch up to Liverpool. <sighs> Brighton are on plus 21 goal difference. Uh, anyway, if I, if we took, if we bring up Brighton, we're just going to end up talking about Brighton the whole time. Well, we've got them later. Let's move on. Yeah. Let's move on to Brentford two, West Ham zero. And the flip of December 30th, West Ham 0, Brentford 2. Huh. Not much has changed. <laughs> the more they change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> Brentford are basically the same team as they were last year. The only major change is Ben Mee on free joining the back line. Wildly fluctuating on the table, uh, or wildly fluctuating in games, but maintaining their mid-table status Uh Last time they played uh, West Ham, Ivan Tony went off injured. This time playing West Ham, Ivan Tony wasn't even playing. He was injured. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the fears from that West Ham game seem to have kind of resolved themselves because they can play well without Tony. They've got Mbuemo, or as the announcers say, Mbuemo. Yeah, sometimes it seems like they just drop the M all together and just go BOMO. BOMO, yeah. Yeah, that's strange. I don't, I don't think anybody's quite figured that one out yet. And you know what? You could just ask him, guys. You know? We should ask him. They spend enough time around him. Yeah, that's true. We have an excuse, at least, you know? <laughs> like, we're not... We're, we're, we're nobody. time zones away, <laughs> you know? Um, West Ham's uh, issue from last game seems to kind of be the same not being able to score uh <laughs> they thought they had an ing solution and they didn't uh they had four shots all of which on net and one called back for a weird handball which you know 
what can you do? Um, but kind of the same thing, except last time West Ham played, they had like 20 shots to Brentford's, I think, eight or nine. Mm. And everybody was like, wow, West Ham really should have won that game. But that was not said about this game at all. Yeah. Um, so I think when we talk about, you know, stats and XG and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Sometimes we use them to make a point, and sometimes that can be misleading, and other times it can't. I think in this match, though, the XG does very much tell the truth. Uh, Brentford had 3.7 expected goals, and West Ham had 0.23 expected goals. Um, I guess West Ham's um, best chances, there was a Saeed Benrahma shot in the 79th minute. Um, they didn't create a whole lot of, a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think they were pretty much successfully bottled up, um, at every turn. I don't know. I think this West Ham team, we're at this weird point in the season now where like teams start to feel comfortable with where they are on the table. I think West Ham feel safe. Um, it would take, uh, basically leads winning both of the remaining games by a margin of like five goals each. Um, to save themselves. Um, and even that would still not do it. They would have to make up an 11 goal difference. So it just doesn't seem, obviously West Ham can drop goals too, whatever, but it just doesn't seem like they're getting relegated. They're still in Europe in the Europa Conference League. We didn't even see Declan Rice start this game. Um, it was a Flynn Downs, Thomas Socek midfield. Um, Maxwell Cornet made an appearance. I don't think we've seen a whole lot of him this year, really. Um, 13 matches. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I think they, I think they're just like, you know what? We're good in the Premier League. We're going to try to win this thing in Europe, keep our guys rested. And um, yeah, maybe we get a point. Maybe we don't. Who cares? Yeah, pretty much. They're comfortable with not being relegated. Uh, and Brentford are fighting. Yes. Uh, for that eighth place finish. <laughs> they know. <laughs> uh, Brentford played a uh, very high line this game mm-hmm. they did not give any break to any of the west ham players and it worked yeah it had them scrambled a lot of their opportunities came off of just the pressure yeah yeah they do that really well they, they create these moments of transition really well and when you've got guys like rico henry and brian and Bumo on your team like Man, they're both so threatening on the transition. They're just quick, so quick up and down the field. They don't really seem to tire all that much, um, which is pretty wild, uh, considering how much running they're doing for their teams. And yeah, I just think that uh, this Brentford team has a lot of quality in it, and they go pretty underrated. Um, they do have uh, very mid-table tendencies. They do drop games maybe where you wouldn't expect them to. They do occasionally get beat up by some of the bigger teams, but like... Uh, they're like sort of bright and light um, a lot of the time, you know, and that's not like any disrespect to Brentford um, because I think that even Brentford's operating with a lower budget than Brighton. So um, I I just think they do a really good job, but yeah, just routinely impressed with some of these performances. I mean, especially in BOMO, I I feel like oftentimes it's that they're sold as the in BOMO and Tony axis, their duo, but I, I feel like increasingly it's Mbomo who is like just the one that draws my eye when I watch them more. He spearheads the effort. Yeah. He's Tony's the water the carrier. Yeah. Okay. I think he, I think he just, he, uh, 
he does so much to get the ball forward for them. He does a lot of progression. He's very good on the ball, uh, carrying it. He tends to be carrying it into space just by um, way of uh, Brentford's ability to create these transition moments when teams are out of their structure. And uh, I think Tony is very much the um, benefactor, I guess, of... Is that the right word? I don't know. The beneficiary, how about that, of uh, Brian and Bomo's... He benefits a lot from Brian and Bomo's <laughs> forward-looking passes. Exactly. Okay. Um, I wanted to see a pass map for this game. Mm. Just to see how much... Mm, I can't find it. Um, yeah, both of these teams kind of in the same spot as the last. Neither of them really changed much. Uh, West Ham had Skamaka last time that they played. He's out. Um, they had... Uh, where did it go? They also played in the FA Cup, and West Ham won 1-0. Mm. Yeah, another one of those things where, I don't know, both clubs take it seriously. Um, nice little piece of hardware to have at the end of the year. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that sort of makes sense, I suppose. But uh, I would imagine that West Ham were putting a little, a few more eggs into that basket at that point than they were uh, in this match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like West Ham's lineup last time they played Brentford felt a lot more um, stout. They had a backline of Cresswell, Ugbana, and Dawson. Mm-hmm. Uh, midfield, Emerson, Rice, Paqueda, and Kufal. Mm-hmm. And then a front line of Benrama, Skamaka, and Bowen. And I feel like that whole lineup just feels like the better version of this. Yeah, I mean, th- this. Like, look, at, look at their bench, right? Declan Rice, Saeed Benrama, Jared Bowen, um, Jared Cresswell, or sorry, Aaron Cresswell, <laughs> um, Kurt Zuma, Tilo Kerr, and Lucas Paqueta. Lucas Paqueta. Like that's like basically their starting lineup. Yeah, they, these guys are phoning it in <laughs> in this match. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you think about how David Moyes sets his team up. It's you know mid block. Um, you know, s- you know, sit and defend if you need to, and then and then get out of the gates and run in transition and try to counter. Their specialist in doing that is Jared Bowen. Uh, Declan Rice is the guy who wins the ball back for them. You know, they didn't have either of those guys on the field. Bowen didn't even see the field. Yeah. It's just like, this is, this is, uh, you know, this lineup that they, they had set up is just not at all going to play moist ball. Oh, I think Jerry Bowen did make it in there, right? He made it in yeah. Minute. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh yeah. He did 83. Yeah. You're right. Um, anything, anything else about this game kind of feels like, both teams have their places. Both teams are fine. Both teams are going to kind of... Yeah, it does. Coast out the rest of the year. It does, yeah. Neither team really has all that much wiggle room. Um, you know, uh, Brentford can maybe drop a few places, but they're not going to finish... <laughs> they aren't going to finish low Chelsea. They were at 11th. Take Incredible. that Take that in. Incredible. This season was so weird. So weird. If I predict Brentford eighth right, I'm going to take that as... Uh, Remaining matches, Maddie. Let's do it. Tottenham, as we know. Man mm-hmm. City. For Brentford? Yes. Oof, That's tough. Uh, that is tough. I think they get... It's Tottenham on the road, by the way, and City at home. I think they get three. So they... And I'm not going to say which match it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they beat Tottenham. Okay. And I, that would put them at 56. 
And then they tie City. Yeah, yeah, they could end in eighth. (laughs) (laughs) If they tied City, it could happen. Okay, so the whole point of this podcast is to figure out ways to get Brentford into (laughs) eighth place. Yes, it is. The very important eighth place finish. Arsenal fans love eighth place finishes. Yes. Um, I, I think, I think they get at least a point left in the season. Uh, if not a tie, a win and West Ham, who do they have left? I just discovered a bunch of weird sediment at the bottom of my glass, bottom of my glass. Um, so that was disturbing. That was disgusting. Uh, West Ham. Sorry. You had to see that folks. I hope that wasn't like paint or something. Um, <laughs> West Ham have Leeds and they have Leicester Leeds at home. At home, meaning home for West Ham, and mm-hmm. then Leicester on the road. They get zero points. I think Leeds and Leicester both need to win, and I think hopefully uh, they both have a little bit of fire in their belly to do something about it. Uh, so I think they end the season with 37 points, and uh, I'm going to say they end in 16th. You really want them to beat Leeds. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. You really want them to be. All right. I say they get 40 points. (laughs) Yeah. All Um, right. I mean, whatever I want, the usual, the opposite happens. Like last Monday when I was like, I really need Leicester to win and Leeds to lose and this other team to lose. And they all didn't happen. Yeah, that was that was a tough break. Um, What do you think? I think they'll probably I think. Um, you know what? Oddly enough, I think they beat City. I think City have the league wrapped up by them. I think they're going to rotate all of their players. Basically, they'll have a Champions League uh, performances to think about. So you think that they get six points and end in eighth? I don't think they'll get six. Maybe they get four. Four. But hey. I'm guessing my my gut says three, but maybe four. That's all they need. Yeah. Then they beat Tottenham on goal differential. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. I could see that. Uh, Tottenham or uh, City have a little bit more to worry about with uh, Real Madrid. Yes, and one of the, one of the Milan's and probably Inter. Yeah, probably. All right, uh, let's move on to Arsenal zero, Brighton three, with the opposite match being December thirty first, Brighton two, Arsenal four. That match was insane. Yeah, it was chaos. Chaos. Scary. Uh, you went up in 66 seconds with Saka scoring a goal, and then chaos ensued. Uh, nobody left feeling great about that game. Uh, it was just pure and utter chaos. And there was a goal that was ruled off for Brighton too. That would have been made it four three. That was very close to being on sides. It yeah. Was a, very close of our decision that they ended up giving to us. So it was that was a very nervy game. It seemed like it was going to be a, a nice coast to a win uh, at Brighton, but they don't make it easy on you. No, no, unless you are uh, Everton, <laughs> Everton, or Everton. Wolves. Everton had five shots and scored all of them, <sighs> I believe, God. in that match. Pretty wild. That was the other match that I wanted to go the other way, uh, and Brighton just can't. Do it. Uh, was this game more of like a mentality block? You were missing two of your back line, two very important parts of your back line. Mm. And Partey came on in the middle of the game. He's been kind of on and off with injury. 
and Brighton have looked good except for playing relegation teams. Was it a mentality thing? Um, no, I think Brighton are good. And I think that a sixth place team on their day can beat most teams above them mm-hmm. normally. I think that's like a fair blanket statement to say about um, any team uh, this late in the season that's you know sitting in that position. Uh, like I said, Brighton have a plus 21 goal difference. Um, you know, they've gotten big results against uh, most of the top side, top of the table teams uh, this year. Um, they've done phenomenally well. I think we've, I don't know, I, have we praised them enough? I don't think so, actually, uh, thinking about it. Um, we've, we've done it quite a bit. Yeah, they they beat, they beat Liverpool uh, in the FA Cup. They beat them at home um, in the league. Uh, I mean... They are they're just a very good team. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know more more I can say about them. Um, I'm just routinely impressed with how Deserbi's kind of hit the ground sprinting with them. Um, the job he's done to get, you know, guys like uh, Pascal Gross, um, you know, obviously Matoma, um, you know, Julio and Ciso has just suddenly become like Such this a nineteen fun year old player. player just like suddenly, you know, become a very useful, very good player. Um, they're so smart with their recruitment. I think getting Colwell in on loan from Chelsea, who's like considered one of the best young English center backs, um, I think coming through the ranks at the moment. Um, yeah, I just think they're a very good team. And um, Arsenal were kind of a, I don't know, we were uh, we were limping, I guess. I think we were sort of riding an emotional high after beating Newcastle, and that was like, I don't know, maybe one of those games where you just like put a lot of you put a lot of your yourself into it, you know, um, to try mm-hmm. to get that result. And I think though that just watching City routinely get these crews to three nil wins, I think that just wears on you a lot. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think this this team has uh, definitely worn down physically. And I think there's also just that mental toll that being in the title race has taken on them. And yeah, I just think, I think um, I, I was listening to uh, the Arsenal Vision podcast today uh, with our friend Elliot. And um, they were talking about how they're saying this, this, this phrase, you know, Arsenal have a title winning team, but not a title winning squad. And I think that's true. Um, it's basically 11 players that could win the title. Um, but a few of them happen to be injured at the moment and the squad depth isn't to the same quality as a title winning teams would be. So yeah, I just think that, you know, um, like we've said in the past, it's just, um, yeah, they're just, they're, they're tiring, you know, they couldn't quite make it to the end of the, uh, the marathon feels inevitable almost yeah 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 i mean city look like they're they're gonna win their remaining matches i mean i'm not sure if they will but if they do it'll be like 17 straight wins in the premier league which is a ridiculous way to close the season but this is what they do they orient themselves to finish strong every year i i don't know how exactly they do it if they try to reserve their energy early on in the year and then they continuously ratchet things up but they always just finish strong and that is a marquee of um how they play and i also would argue that's probably a marquee of any title winning side so um yeah 
that's the uh, Arsenal perspective I've got for you. But on the day, I think Brighton were just the better team, to be honest. Uh, McAllister. McAllister wasn't uh, on the squad last time you played him, and he seems to be very good at facilitating forward movement, uh, a huge difference for uh, a difference maker for Brighton. Also, Brighton uh, gave you Trossard and got uh, Ferguson, Evan Ferguson, and 18-year-old. Yeah, this is just, once again, Evan Ferguson looks incredibly impressive uh, as a young player. Uh, he's a big dude, um, but I think he uses his size well, but he also, I think, has a good skill set on the ball. Um, he had one shot in particular in this match. Uh, I think it was actually his only shot, but mm-hmm. he did well to, like, get to it. He sort of had to, he sort of, like, rolled around its defender and got a shot off, and it didn't look like he really had much... Uh, of an angle to strike it, but he hit it really hard um, from the outside of the box. And it didn't end up being on target, but I was surprised that he was able to even get that off. I think he looks like he's going to be a pretty talented attacker. Um, yeah, McAllister looks good. I think, you know, we're definitely giving him the old um, World Cup buff being on the, the World Cup winning team. He yeah. looked very yeah. good for Argentina. I think we're all very impressed with him. He's a good player. He's young. He's 24. Um, I think he'll get a big move in the summer. Um, and yeah, he'll make a team better for sure. He's he's a good player. This is the uh, flip side of the coin for being a Brighton because they're probably going to lose McAllister. They might lose Caicedo. Um, this is the way <laughs> when you're Brighton. Um, but, you know, they seem to be able to keep on chugging along with these fines like in CISO and, and getting Ferguson from their academy. Um, and Karim Mutoma, who uh, I love. So, <laughs> yeah, he had he had Benjamin White on skates for most of this match. I think uh, that was <laughs> that was a more of a saving face um, performance from Benjamin White than anything. They also have quite the injury list. Uh, Solly March... Tariq Lamptey, Lamte, uh, Joel Veltman, Jeremy Saramento, Jacob Modor, Modor, Adam Webster, and Adam Lalana. Mm-hmm. All injured, all not in this match, all very good players. Danny Welbeck didn't even start. Like, they they have depth. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, the, the thing is, if Brighton have a player coming on that you've never heard of, it's probably a bad thing for you. If any other team has a player coming on that you've never heard of, it's probably a good thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or it means that City are up 6-0 and they're putting on, you know, their newest <laughs> yeah. and brightest young star. Yeah. And that's never a good thing. Nope. Nope. <laughs> um, but yeah, like this guy, uh, Denny's Undov, who um, came on and scored a goal. Like, he's a German player that they went and found um, out of the Bundesliga I believe. Um, or no, I'm sorry, out of Belgium. I, yeah, I just don't know. Like, <laughs> I just don't know how they do it. But um, they, yeah, they just do an excellent job of getting their guys prepared for each match. And I think that, like, being able to roll without a guy, especially, like, a guy like um, uh, Sally March, who's been so instrumental in so many of their uh, goal scorer goals this year. And, um, yeah, Adam Webster. I mean, uh, he's uh, been a key starter. He's a great center back for them. Um, I remember Adam Webster, the conversation around him when we bought uh, Ben White was, well, Ben White's not even our best 
right-sided center back is Adam Webster. Uh, that was the Brighton fans' uh, feel for things. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can tell that they've got a lot of uh, depth and quality in their bench, and they're just really, really shrewd. <laughs> I don't know. And they have a lot to fight for as well. Yeah. So this this match was, I mean, losing to Everton midweek, huge points drop. Yep. They needed this win to keep up with uh, Liverpool to stay in Europe, um, where Arsenal kind of feel like, yeah, yeah, you're still in the running, but the city haven't lost. Yeah. And you were tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, a lot of a lot of uh, Arsenal fans yeah, have been like, "Well, this is the this is it. Like, this is the final nail in the coffin." Um, and I think it's sort of been like a, a slow deflation over the last few weeks. You know, it's like you had that temporary bump from the Newcastle match, but you just sort of saw it going in that direction, right? I mean, it's just that Man City are inevitable. You know, you can't; they won't be stopped. It seems so. It would take a dramatic, dramatic collapse for anything to change now uh, for Man City. But, um, yeah, I think I, – I don't want to say, though, that they – like, because, like, Arsenal, if they win this match, like, there's still that, you know, glimmer of hope. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they played that first half. Like, it was pretty back and forth. I think that there was still points to be had there for us. Um, and Brighton just were able to get some – get their – they they were really kind of playing uh, on the cliff's edge, I would say, with how they play through the um, play out of the back. And there were moments where we were able to dispossess them high in the field and turn those into good quality attack attacking moments. I think they tightened that up a bit in the second half, um, created more uh, better chances. And yeah, everyone that was kind of at the ground that I've heard talk about the game basically said like after the first goal, it was like everybody like sank their heads all the players all the fans kind of knew like all right this is it (laughs) you know so yeah it sort of felt like well we gave it our best shot boys (laughs) so brighton have four games left yes where do you see them finishing um with their games yeah they're going to beat southampton um and i think they'll probably beat aston villa um Again, Man City need three points to, excuse me, to to secure the title. Um, they play Chelsea at home next. <laughs> I rate them in that match. <laughs> um, so you think Brighton have a chance at beating them at home? I don't know because Pep's kind of a maniac, I guess, and like he's not going to want to lose. You oh, know? Yeah. he's not just going to like let them lose, but he's definitely going to put more of his sort of mental preparedness and things into the champions league. Cause like that is their white whale that city have been chasing. That'll be the treble for them mm-hmm. um, or the potential treble. They also have the FA cup final uh, at the end of the season. So yeah. Um, I don't know. It's sort of hard to say what man city will do, but I don't, it's not going to be full strength man city. They probably, they won't even see probably a minute of Erling Holland, you know? Um, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne hasn't played in like three games. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be um, really interesting to see that. I think that they can probably take seven points in the remaining 12. That's going to be my guess. Okay. Yeah. All right. I respect that. Yep. And so putting that uh, on the board for them, that would put them at 65 points. Do we think that gets it done for sixth place? Mm, yeah. It has to. Because, it has to. Um, 63 points is the maximum that Tottenham can achieve. So uh, mathematically, it does have to. Um, 
rhetorical question. <laughs> yes, I do believe that they will end in sixth place. All right, there you have it, folks. And where do you think Arsenal won? <laughs> the Seagulls in Europe next year. I might have to get a jersey, man. I have to. I might have to go to a game. Oh. After the summer of manifestation, I think we just might be able to. <laughs> honorary Brighton fan, yeah, over here. Just an honorary Matoma fan. Yeah, let me, let me, let me, let me just do this. Don't, don't get mad at me for this. <laughs> this is the plastics podcast, after all. Uh, all right. For a little bit of league wrap up action, two out of the five leagues have been decided. Mm. Syria with Napoli and their first title win in thirty three years. Did you see Naples after they won? No. I don't even know if it was real. Did they burn it down? I don't... Like, the the pictures I saw on Instagram, I truly don't know if they were real. Uh, because, like, it didn't seem possible to have that many fireworks in the sky at the same time. But, like, the entire sky was just full of fireworks. <laughs> um and it looked like just the coolest party in the world at that moment in time. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to them. I think it's cool that uh, Serie A have now gotten... Exactly, yes, Maddie's now showing me the oh photo. Gosh. And it's just that a stream terrifying. of red fireworks in the sky. It's completely lit up with red fireworks. It's really crazy. Um, but I think it's cool that now um, Serie A have had... Uh, a host of different winners in the last few years. I mean, we saw AC Milan win it. We've seen Napoli win it this year. That league's very competitive, and um, I think that we rag on a lot of the leagues around Europe for not being top to bottom, like, parity-wise. Um, and that's true of some of them for sure. But it's, I don't know, Serie A, they've, they've got it going over there. I think that's definitely worth your time, worth your attention. Um uh, maybe even more so than the Premier League at this point. <laughs> oh, we man. Seem, we all seem to know who's going to win it every year. But um, Well, speaking of knowing who's going to win it this year, La Liga uh, was owned once again by Barcelona. Yay. This one feels weird to me. Why? I don't know. It just doesn't feel like I, I'm not a, I'm not a Ser- uh, La Liga watcher. Um, but it, it usually feels to me like it feels like when, I don't know, it feels like when Madrid and Barcelona were like such a huge like two cl- clashes like two titans for so long yeah in that league and it felt like one of them winning the title was actually significant so it was like how do you overcome this other force that's also in the league and also like your equivalent mm-hmm. um in terms of talent uh and depth and all this but this year it feels i don't know it just feels weird it feels like there's something tarnishing it i, I don't know what it is i don't know if it's just my weird feelings about barcelona as a club at the moment and how they're going about things well don't they have those like charges out against them same with man city they all have these charges out against them for like all of these financial crimes and nothing crimes the referees yeah yeah barcelona yeah well now they're trying to get a trophy for during i think like a civil war because somebody else in la liga was awarded one and they want theirs i don't know i saw it on reddit today but uh, <laughs> do some research on that one yeah it's i mean the la liga teams are huge like mm-hmm. it's it's not real madrid have won champions league two years in a row yeah they might do it three years in a row 
Hopefully. <laughs> uh, all right. And the last two leagues, Bundesliga, Byron is up by one point in the league. Uh, Uber Eats. Uh, PSG, PSG is up by six. Kind of also feels inevitable, but they also have a bunch of drama going on in true French fashion. Yeah. Th- this seems to happen with them every year because they're on this interminable uh, cycle of never winning the, the Champions League because they're not a serious club, not a serious institution. Um, yeah, their whole squad building approach is a joke. Um, PSG, I think, somehow karma has has really leveled the playing field with them because nobody cares about winning Ligue 1 unless you're not PSG. Um, it's cool when um, a club like Lyon wins it or something. Or yeah, or Lille, um, but not when PSG wins it. And everybody knows that, including PSG. They don't give a shit. Um, and I continue to enjoy them uh, bumbling their way through the dark and not being able to find uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, if you'll allow me <laughs> such an analogy. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, who cares? I think that the Bundesliga race is kind of interesting, but it seems like Dortmund cannot for the life of them get out of their own way <laughs> they had every opportunity to pass them and every time just fumbled the bag yeah, they were ahead then they fell behind again it yeah i mean byron have a game it's leipzig um coming up at home on saturday maybe we should watch that actually i don't know um that might be more fun than any of the games in the Premier League. It might be, yeah. Because uh, Leipzig are third in the table, so, you know, a bit more of a formidable opponent there. And Dortmund um, coming up have uh, Augsburg and Mainz. Um, I think... They pro- I think they come out with six points. Yeah, I mean... Julian Brandt's been on a tear, man. Yeah, Augsburg is... Looks like safe, um, but they're low, lower half the table. They're in 13th, and Mainz are in 9th. So, uh, yeah, Dortmund will probably lose to one of them. Given probably. Oh, yeah, they'll, of they'll course. probably go ahead in the table again and yep. then lose on the final day. Oh, yeah, that would be classic. Yeah. All right, Blair, do you have any closing thoughts, any shout outs, anything you want to put out into the world? Good vibes, love, happy Mother's Day. Oh, yeah. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I know a lot of special moms in my life these days, which is cool. Uh, part about being 28 is that uh, your friends start having babies and your friends become moms. And I think that's special. So um, shout outs out to all the moms out there. Uh, you're all doing great um, as far as I know. And uh, shout out to my mom who I do know is doing great um, <laughs> despite all the odds with my brother and I. Thank you for sticking by us for so long. <laughs> um, I love you. Oh, yeah. I love you too, mom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, shout out to Maddie's mom. I love you too. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty cool. Yeah, she is. Uh, she gave me a printer. She gave you a printer? Well, I mean, she made me take it. <laughs> she didn't really give it to me. Fantastic. <laughs> My mother forces printers onto people. Hey, welcome to the Plastics Late Night. We're serving up, we're serving up poems with a side of authenticity. Mm. We're serving up with poems with a side of Sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation. Jacob missed the. Oh God, uh, Jacob missed the recording. So we are recording post recording. Yeah, it's been a crazy day. Um, look, we're here. We're we're here for one reason and one reason only, and that's to hear a sick ass poem. Slam poetry about Sheffield United. Okay. All right. Now cue music. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, <laughs> uh-huh. Sheffield United are currently 
uh, this past season, a championship club. They are uh, known as the Blades. Okay. That's pretty sick. It's, uh, it was the named after one of their old captains from yore. Many years ago. <laughs> the captain from yore. So... Um, <clears throat> this might be a bit thematic in nature, slightly. So this is our second promotion poem. This is our second promotion Written poem. by Jigaberk, read by Jigaberk. This is a dramatic reading. Uh, this, is, this is a theme to it. I think you'll gather it quite quickly. Because uh, of the music. Because playing. of the music uh, and additionally the word choices. <clears throat> <clears throat> Ahoy, me hearties. Gather round and hear the tale. <laughs> Of Sheffield United, they've sailed the seas of English football with the wind in their sail. <laughs> and now they've earned a stay back into the Premier League. Hooray! <laughs> the Blades are a fearsome crew with swords at their side and their mascot. Brave and bold leads them with pride. Captain Blade is his name and his passion for the beautiful game is only matched by his love of treasure and fame. <laughs> their ship, Bramalane, a fortress of steel and might. Their fans, the red and white army, are a fearsome sight. They sing and chant and cheer their team on through every fight. And now their loyalty has been rewarded with a place in the top flight. <laughs> so raise the Jolly Roger high and let the celebrations begin. Sheffield United are back in the prem. Let the party in. Their opponents will tremble at the sight of the Blades' black and red kit, for they know that this pirate crew is not to be trifled with. So here's to Sheffield, almost champions of the championship seas. May they continue to sail on to even greater victories. And may their fans keep singing and shouting, cheering and dancing with glee, for the Blades have returned and they're back right where they're meant to be. Aye. Is that why it took you all night last night to write that? That it be, last that it be. Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. The voice and all. I'm going to go get a drink of water. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jacob Burke. To all a good night. Gracias. I think that is all on our schedule for today. You know what always gets me? Oh, what's that? In England, they celebrate Mother's Day on a different day. What day do they celebrate it? Let me find out. Because every time I see like um, Happy Mother's Day to like, you know, random soccer players that I'm following and I'm like, oh shit, is that today? (laughs) And then it's just like, no, it's UK. It's just on March 10th for some reason. They just wanted to be earlier in celebrating mothers than we were. Uh, mm. They're like, we've got them by a month. <laughs> They'll never see it coming. Oh, it's by two months. Oh, shit. It's May. Yeah, by April. I always forget about April. It's a leap month. It's a stupid month. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>